So one of the things that our therapists frequently find themselves working on with clients is just the basic skill of learning to identify and express what we are feeling. So we want to dive into this today as this is a core skill for basic marriage communications. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to oyf.support. Once again, that website is oyf.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you're looking for. We have an instructive episode for you this week. This is episode number 243, and today we're going to be talking about emotions and how to identify them. Hey there, before we get started, if you missed last week's episode, or our last episode, I should say, because we skipped a week, Yes, we yes. discussed keeping the romance alive in your marriage. That is worth going back and checking out. Uh, I thought it was a great episode with lots of good stuff in there. And do make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming shows from us. And we also want to remind you about our 2020 cruise. We have a special website set up for that now. It's christianmarriagecruise.com. And I want to make two very important points here. First is that this cruise is selling out very quickly. So if you're thinking about coming, please get in touch with me through our website ASAP. And second is that we have some standard room pricing up on the website. But if you contact me, we can almost always find you better pricing, sometimes even significantly less expensive than what we have published. So do reach out via our website or shoot me an email directly at verlinda at onlyyouforever.com. Awesome. That's V-E-R-L-Y-N-D-A. And again, if you're struggling with your marriage, we offer sound research-based advice and we offer hope for people that are having a hard time mm-hmm. in their marriage. Let's get into this topic of emotions, Verlinda. It's, uh, I'm excited about this episode. It's something that a lot of people that I work with in the counseling room or virtual counseling room, I guess, that really uh, struggle with, especially guys. Okay. Especially guys. So the first section is uh, entitled, I feel like you don't understand me. And I have some, a little bit of irony, maybe even a tad, a touch of sarcasm built into the header for this first point, because what I notice over and over talking to people in and out of the counseling room is that we believe that if we begin a comment with, I feel, then we're talking about feelings, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes. And 90% okay. of the time or more, you're actually talking about what you think, not what you feel. So let me illustrate that by repeating these exact thoughts that I just said, but using, you know, quote unquote, I feel language. So what I feel over and over talking to people in and out of the counseling room is that we we feel that if we begin a comment with I feel, then we're talking about feelings. And I I really feel like 90% of the time folks are talking about what they think, not what they feel. See what I see what I did there? Yeah, yeah. So saying the words I feel a lot is no guarantee that you're actually talking about your feelings. Okay. So maybe bursting so a bubble we... or two here. Yeah, but how do you know then if you're talking about your feelings? Well, if you want to talk about feelings, it is okay to say I feel, but you have to follow that statement with an emotion word like sadness. I feel sadness, or I feel disgusted, or I feel disappointed, or I feel happy. Something like that. Okay, okay. And I often tell folks that the best way to test yourself on this is by using the I think check. 
And that's just a way of checking to say, if you can say exactly the same thing, but use I think instead of I feel, then you're actually talking about what you think, not what you feel. So oh my, okay, okay. Let me just illustrate it. I think it'll make it clear, right? If I say, I feel like you never listened to me. Now, the first clue is there is no mm-hmm. emotion word. But the second thing we can do to test that is to change the word feel for think. So then it would sound like, I think you never listened to me. Oh, and that is the proper sentence. Yeah. So it's not a feeling. No, that works, right? So you should use okay. I think in a situation like that because it sound, it is more accurate. Or let's okay. let's say there's a wife and she says, I feel sad when you ogle other women. So let's test that out the same way and see if you can use the word think in there, in which case it would sound like, I think sad when you ogle other women. And it, so that doesn't work. It doesn't work. So that's a genuine, bona fide feeling statement. Okay. So if you put, I feel like, yeah, then it's generally an I think statement. Yeah. Or it could be, I feel that you're not paying attention or I feel you, you never. Whereas you would have to say like, I feel ignored. When? Yeah. Yeah. Because then that's the yeah. feeling. Yeah. Okay. okay. So I just kind of, I kind of wanted to skewer this one right up front because a person, just because we get in habits of how we use language and a person can go all three, the way through this and be all pumped about identifying their emotions and start saying, I feel all the time and not actually talk about their feelings. So I really oh. want folks <laughs> gotcha. to be, to be conscientious and purposeful about understanding that when we're identifying our emotions and we're using feeling language that we actually end up talking about feelings, not thinkings. Thinkings, hey? Yes. Mm, I see. I'm allowed to make up new words, right? <laughs> okay. Got it. Got it. All right. So let's just kind of start. I feel like I've got it. I <laughs> know you think you've got it. <laughs> I saw what you did there. Nice. So I just, I'm going to start off like a little bit kind of uh, nerdy here, but but I think you'll see where I'm going if you stick with me, because I want to begin with how emotion happens in your brain and body. And this actually becomes really important towards meeting the task that we've assigned ourselves in this episode, which is learning how to identify our emotions. Okay. Okay. If you can't remember the brain structures that I'm about to mention, don't worry about that, but just, just listen through here as your, as our listeners are, are coming along with us. There are certain brain structures involved in emotions. The hypothalamus plays a part in the activation of the nervous system, which stimulates an emotional response. There's also in our brains further emotional processing in the thalamus, in the amygdala, in other cortical areas. But what I want us to note here is that, for example, what happens in the amygdala, that gets transmitted out to nerve endings. So that means that you have a physical response in your body, like a sensation that is a response to the emotional stimuli or the emotional processing that's happening in your brain. So, for example, sometimes you can just see something happen and then have an emotional response, which you feel in your body. And I think a super obvious example of this is if you see someone get hit in the groin really badly, there's like that mm. Ugh, reaction, right? And, yeah. and when you watch people who didn't experience the hit but saw the hit, they often kind of fold up a little bit in their bodies. Right. If they right. see a really bad hit in a very sensitive area, right? And, and remember, okay. they didn't get hit. Someone else got hurt, but there's an emotional response of sympathy where you almost feel the pain the other person is going through, but it's something that came in through your eyes, got processed in your brain, and now your body is reacting. Okay. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that the brain and the body are connected. So what you feel is always embodied. Do I need to unpack that or does that make sense? Like it what you feel is embodied, like it's in your body. It's okay. in your brain, but it happens, you experience the feeling in your body. So inevitably, if a client says, I feel sad or angry or lonely or surprised, in counseling, I'll, ask, I'll often ask them, well, where do you feel that in your body? 
And that's why it's called a feeling because the emotion registers in the body. It registers somatically. That's the word that we use. It shows up in the body. You you know you have a feeling yeah. because you yeah. feel it. Right. Not just because you thought it. Yeah. Not just because some neurochemicals moved around in your brain. It shows up in some oh. location in your body as a very particular identifiable sensation and you'll almost always like feel sadness in the same place or remorse or regret in the same place or joy in the same place in your body. Hmm. Okay? okay. Now, sometimes people wonder and I don't and this is just kind of interesting too like what happens first? Is it the brain happening first or the body? Like where does the feeling kind of originate Ooh, from, right? Yeah, yeah. Some researchers suggest that the body causes conscious emotions. Okay. So it, because it's happening in your body, then your brain processes it. Others suggest that sometimes it originates purely in the brain and then it's felt in your body. And probably both are correct, is my guess right now. I mean, I don't know for sure. This is part of the mystery of the intricacy of the human body, right? Mm -hmm. But when I get nervous, like if I'm going to perform, yeah. I'm fine until I think about it. And then like, whoop, my stomach kind of goes. Okay. So then the brain definitely is coming first. Or is the brain just recognizing what's already happening in your body? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Okay, never <laughs> <Right>? mind. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, it is kind of... Yeah, I see what you're saying, It's though. tangly. Uh-huh. But what we do know is that if we can, like, for example, if we can really relax the body and even allow ourselves to feel fully held by a comfortable chair then there will be corresponding changes in our central nervous system. There'll be changes in our heart rate, our respiration, our muscle tension. Mm -hmm, At the mm -hmm. same time, you can also mentally visualize the loss of someone like in another situation and cause an emotional mm -hmm. response of sadness that you feel in your body. So right. which way does it go? Probably both. Wow. Okay. Probably both. Yeah. But but it's just helpful to know like it's moving between these two things and, and we need to start kind of paying attention, right? And just noticing They're what's happening. They're very connected. They're very connected. And we don't necessarily have to separate them to get good at this, but it's just kind of handy to know yeah. okay. that, that there's a lot involved here, right? Now, kind of just learning something about emotion too. Emotion has a duration to it and that can change a lot. So your experience of an emotion can range from just a few seconds to even several hours. It depends on a few different variables, like the emotion eliciting event. Did someone shout a curse word at you? That could be sort of a momentary like thought about the person, and then you get distracted by something else. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or you could be watching a tearjerker of a movie for an hour and a half, and you could be like sitting in sadness for an hour and a half, right? Mm -hmm. the, the emotion itself, the nature of the emotion, the intensity of it, they can affect the duration of it. And yourself as a person, like how long your own tolerance, your ability to sit with the emotion versus kind of moving yourself away from it or distracting or numbing it off, right? All these affect how long you feel emotions for. Sometimes emotions just kind of flash across our experience and we have to really work hard to go back later and figure out what I did feel in that brief moment. Okay. Yeah. Going back to like the brain versus the body thing. Yeah. If I cut onions yeah. and cry, I'm much more emotional that day. Ooh. Like it's almost like it triggers like a crying response. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Is that ridiculous? No, it's like... I would... So my body... My body obviously knows that crying means I'm sad. Right. So therefore, it's trying to come up with why I'm crying. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's almost like pulling pulling uh, like historical content or experience into what it needs to match to yeah, or what something. it's doing. I don't know. Yeah. 
But the overall goal here is to increase our emotional literacy as people, to become more conscious of our emotions, more able to express them. And we use the term emotional literacy to describe the ability to be conscious of our own emotions and to use that information. That helps us function more effectively in life generally and in relationships and marriage in particular. Okay. If you can really understand your emotion and why you're experiencing what you're experiencing, you can just have much more adaptive kind of I would say even more direct, more efficient conversations about things that matter with your spouse. Okay. Uh, One researcher suggests that emotional literacy includes five aspects that arise from the emotion of love. And this is just kind of helpful. One is being conscious of your own feelings. Mm -hmm. That's useful. Another is being able to genuinely feel for one another. So when you're going through something, I can feel for you. Number three is knowing how to handle feelings. That's part of emotional literacy. Mm -hmm. Number four is being able to restore emotional harm. So when you know you've caused hurt, uh, you're able to have enough emotional literacy to to help kind of find a pathway back to restoring your spouse from the harm that's been done. And number five is communicating emotions or communicating emotionally, like in an emotionally informed way. Okay. So be able to talk about them. Yeah. Yeah. And, And so in previous generations, either culturally or even stereotypically with males, especially emotional literacy was just not a value that was widely held or promoted, right? Mm-hmm. Many of the men that we work with in our agency and some of the women, they really present with a minimal amount of emotional illiteracy. They kind of just know they either feel bad or they feel good. Mm-hmm. And that's almost as far as they can go. So we help them develop their emotional literacy so they can more accurately identify their own experience. That helps them to relate in a much more informed and a more accurate manner with the people that are important to them. Okay. Yeah. That's neat. It's kind of like it just gives you a whole nother layer of language to talk to another person. And and when you're able to communicate in that way, it deepens intimacy as well because you're giving them a window into yourself that you know was too vague for you to, to describe well previously. Okay. So it's just kind of so many benefits um, for sorting through stuff. And then as they, as they get to know you better, it increases the intimacy. And- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So again, this week we have a bonus guide for much appreciated supporters. This episode's guide will give our listeners, our supporters more specifically, a couple additional techniques for helping develop emotional literacy. So if it is an area where you want to grow and develop this in your life, you should definitely download the PDF with these additional exercises. You can get those by becoming a patron of the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. And we'll take a 60 second break here to tell you more about that. What happens when the fairy tale marriage meets reality? Too often, high expectations lead to disappointment, communication breaks down, and the struggles of day to day life become overwhelming, leaving you feeling lost and without hope. Unfortunately, marriage does not come with an instruction manual. Marriage troubles are deeply personal and can take a toll on you, your spouse, and your family. Counseling can be expensive, and divorce is very costly. It doesn't have to be this way. Caleb and Valinda understand your pain and frustration. Their mission is to help save as many marriages as possible. And to date, thousands of couples are helped through their weekly podcast. But the most important marriage they want to help save is yours. With a minimum of a $10 investment a month, you gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Learn more about saving marriages and how you can help at oyf.support. That's OYF.support. You're listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Before the break, we were talking about emotional literacy. Uh, Like I said, we have a couple additional techniques for identifying your emotions in the bonus guide for the episode. We want to give our listeners some strategies and some techniques now as well. Okay. 
So how do we do this? All right. I want to break this down into two parts. So the first part is you kind of have to know what's on the menu. Like what are the main emotions, at least the main ones? Right. Okay. And the second part of that is to just really get used to stepping through you know, maybe like what happened around an incident or what is happening in the moment in order to identify your emotions as well. So one is okay. kind of knowing the list of possibilities that are out there and the other is sort of saying, okay, how do I pick off the list what I'm experiencing or what, what I experienced? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I'll just say that learning to identify your emotions, I was trying to think of what I could compare this to. And I think it's kind of like dealing out a deck of cards in a card game. You know, if you're just starting to play cards, it's almost like you have to think hard and really focus in order to deal out the deck to a handful of oh, players. Like one, 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 two, yes. two, two. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But if you play card games more regularly, especially if you're a person like me that doesn't play a lot of card games, you sit down with someone who does and they're just like around the table, it becomes nearly automatic. Yeah. It's very smooth. They're just kind of flicking their wrist. They're not thinking about it. It's very accurate. It's much, much faster. And I think it's like that with emotions. It feels kind of slow and clumsy at first, but mm. if you if you keep doing it, it will be something that's very accurate, very quick, and very precise. So there's hope. Like it's not always going to feel the clumsy. Yeah. Yeah. Remember we had an episode a while ago on, on, on uh, people saying, mostly guys, again, I'm not an emotional person. Right. It's a bunch of baloney, right? It's just we haven't learned to to deal out the deck in a in a quick, efficient manner. So that's what we want to help you with today. It, nobody okay. has, unless you're a psychopath or a sociopath, and you literally don't have, you may not have emotion or empathy at all. Uh, everybody has the ability to grow in their emotional literacy. Okay. So how do we? So these feeling words you're talking about, how do we learn those? Yeah. So uh, one person that's been very helpful is psychologist Robert Plutchik, P-L-U-T-C-H-I-K. And if you're listening today, you can Google his name or just Google the Plutchik diagram, P-L-U-T-C-H-I-K. It's called the Wheel of Emotions, and it gives us a number of key emotions or feeling words that we need to know about, and they can help us really understand also not only what are many of the kind of main emotions, but what are the relationship between those emotions. And so for our listeners, I'll just kind of describe this out loud as best I can. There's eight primary emotions around this wheel. Anger, fear, anticipation, surprise, sadness, joy, trust, and disgust. And okay. the handy part of laying these out as a wheel is that each primary emotion has a polar opposite. So joy is the opposite of sadness. Fear is the opposite of anger. Anticipation is the opposite of surprise. Disgust is the opposite of trust. Hmm. Really interesting stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a, a lot you could talk about just in those opposites. The, the comparisons. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But okay. the other helpful thing about the wheel is that the intensity of the emotion decreases as you move outward. It increases as you move toward the center. So for example, on the one spoke where you have the spectrum of anger, you have rage at the center. That's very intense. And then you have anger, yeah. which is pretty strong. And then you have annoyance out at the rim, which is much more moderate, right? Right. So the diagram is something you can Google if you're working on developing your emotional literacy. I would suggest printing it out. Stick it on the fridge, on your bulletin board, by your desk, something like that, just so you kind of begin to familiarize yourself with these words. And when you're going through something, even at work, just kind of stop and look. Okay, what am I feeling? Well, I'm feeling really disappointed because my employee let me down or I'm feeling disgusted because the vendor reneged on his contract. And that's just kind of how you can start doing some of this stuff, right? Okay, so that's the feeling words and how like you can see them laid out for you, but how do you actually recognize what you're feeling? Okay. Okay. So let's, there's six steps that I want to go through for recognizing your emotions. And this comes from the creator of dialectical behavior therapy, Dr. Marsha. 
uh, comes from uh, the Dialectical Behavior Therapy Skills Workbook. And it's particularly effective for debriefing yourself after an emotionally intense event where you think, you know what, if I can understand my emotions, it'll really help me make a better sense, make better sense of what occurred. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing is what happened in the event. And that's really just describe the emotional event to yourself. Try to stick to only facts in this step, like not to get interpretive, but just to really kind of note you know, what went down if you replay the movie, right? In your mind. Okay. And then the second step is why do you think that situation happened? So this starts to deal with causes, right? Now we're moving away from facts. Yeah. And this step could be the most important because it's often the meaning that we give to events that determines our emotional reactions. This is, you know, we're, we're starting to think here about motive or about why, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, right? And that that is very meaning making and that is what really kind of ignites the emotional response, right? Okay. And then okay. you, you want to kind of pause that and, and say, okay, how did the situation make you feel? And think about that emotionally and physically. There's a primary and a secondary emotional response here, but just, just begin with examining your physical response. If you begin almost to play the movie again in your mind of how everything went down, you can kind of get your body back there and get the emotions going again. But it's just asking yourself questions like, is my breathing slow or rapid? Are my palms sweaty? Do I feel nauseous? Really kind of considering what was or is happening in your body. Okay. So body awareness is a is a large part of beginning to be aware of emotions because, again, we have to feel a feeling, right? Right. So replaying that event will probably bring back the same um, response in your body. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And and then there's kind of think about it. There's a primary emotional response and a, f- a secondary one. So the initial, the very kind of first emotional response that you have to what is occurring or to what occurred is a, usually a primary emotion. Those are powerful feelings. They come up very quickly. They don't require cognitive processing of the event. Like you don't have to think, it just happens. So for example, if you found out that you just won the lottery, you would likely have an instant emotional response of joy or surprise. Right. If you saw saw a bad car accident, you might have an instant emotional response of terror happening, right? Yeah. You're not going to think, oh, I need to be terrified or, oh, I'm going to be delighted. I have just won the lottery. It just, it happens in you that fast. Okay. Okay. So that's the primary. Yeah response. And then okay. there's often a secondary emotional response. And this, uh, you know, this is interesting stuff. These are your reaction to your reaction. It's, so it's your emotional response to your primary emotion. It's mm-hmm. your feeling about your feelings kind of stuff. So yeah. if you if you yell at your significant other because he or she has done something to make you very angry, that's kind of the thought, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, there, there could be a couple of ways this goes the primary emotion of anger may come on very quickly because somehow you're feeling like sort of fundamentally offended, but then later on you might begin to feel guilty. That's the secondary emotion for having gotten so angry at them. Okay. Does that yes. make sense? Yes. Yeah. Or, or in, you know, it doesn't necessarily always go from anger to guilt because you're, you may also be in a situation where your spouse just let you down really badly. And your primary emotion could be the fear of like sort of being betrayed at a really deep level. And you may respond with a lot of anger to try to secure and control the situation back to a safer place. So in that case, your anger is okay. secondary. After right? fear. Yeah. 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 And okay, actually, I, I would say that most often anger is secondary. It's usually only comes out as a primary emotion when it's an offense related to an injustice that has been done. Okay. Yeah. 
And anger is often, yeah, anger is often secondary to fear or sadness. And usually fear or sadness are the underlying primary emotions in the context of marriage, especially when you're trying to solve marital conflict. And if you can figure out what it is that you're sad about or what it is that you're afraid of and speak to that rather than speaking out of your anger and uh, really get good at that, then you might not even need to hire a marriage therapist. So hmm. I'm not sure why I'm telling you that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay. So the next step, uh, that was... How did the situation make you feel? The next step is what did you want to do as a result of how you felt? What were your urges that followed this? And this step requires complete okay. honesty with yourself in order for it to be effective. You know, when we're overwhelmed by emotions, there can be urges to do or to say something that you would likely regret later on. Okay, yes. And so it's just kind of learning about, you know, what was the urge that followed, right? And then the second part after that is that what did you actually do and say as a result of your emotions? Oh, so even if... Okay. Even if you so you might respond. have felt like punching the person, but you yep. might not have, and you might have said something instead. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And this becomes emotional information too, right? Because if you can be honest about how you did handle the situation, you can use those mistakes as a learning experience. Okay. And it's just like, well, how can I use that urge to punch someone? Um, you know, hopefully we're not talking about marriage here, of course. No. But would would I, is there a way that instead of you know going, I can go behind that urge or or kind of go earlier on, catch myself and identify the primary emotion that was in behind that instead of just mm -hmm. reacting on my secondary emotion. Okay. Yeah. This is interesting because you always ask our girls, well, what did, it, what did you feel like doing? Like, how did you feel like responding? And I could never figure out why you would ask okay. them that, but I'm yeah. understanding this now. Yeah. Okay. And then what you actually did and said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then the last part is, well, how did these emotions and actions affect you later? So there's kind of, there's often a long-term consequence of what we do or how we respond in situations, right? So mm -hmm. this is where we get to some deeper stuff. If So if we find ourselves often choosing to handle overwhelming or upsetting emotions by drinking alcohol, right? Uh, There'll be negative consequences the next morning with a hangover or if we're late for work or late for school, or if we ended up saying or doing something that we regret, right? Then it really begins to inform us about how these emotions are starting to really kind of play through into other dynamics of our life. Okay, and that's wow. all part of figuring out the whole sort of uh, spaghetti bowl of stuff that happens in, in these situations. Yeah, for sure. So let me kind of just give a little bit of a context for how we can do this work of figuring out the emotions. I think that should be pretty quick. And then just a couple final points and really dialing this into the marriage context. Okay. So five quick suggestions for how we can set the context to identify our emotions. It really helps if we can stop and be still, just kind of stop the distractions, pause, take time to identify how you're feeling. So you have to step out of the, the bustle. Okay. This, pause. Here. Yep. It's yeah. very helpful. Many folks find it very helpful to write. Uh, journaling. If you're not a journaling, just start making a few notes in your notebook anyways. Okay. Talking to someone, talk to your spouse if that's possible or if, or to a family or to a good friend uh, or talk to, reach out and talk to a therapist that can help you identify, express your emotions. A lot of people yeah. also um, can enjoy turning to music and just noting how the, the tune of the song or the playlist can set the mood to our subconscious or to what our body is mm -hmm. feeling. So when I'm yes. angry, do I do I listen more to like rap music or heavy rock music, or or do I kind of go to more intense melodies to portray other emotions? You know huh. that can be informative towards developing our emotional literacy. And then yeah. another healthy practice can be to have a daily reflection, like even just going to before before you go to bed or when you go to bed with your spouse, think about retrospectively like how you felt during the day, what actions triggered or followed. So you're kind of just tracing and learning about how emotions played a role in your day. 
Okay. And that makes it easier for you to identify your emotions the next time. So the more you kind of realize, oh yeah, I was feeling sad right then, then you're doing that at the end of the day. But the next time you might be able to realize that in the moment. Mm, yeah. And then you, yeah. this is how you begin to act in a much more informed and very present manner. Okay. This is all just building that emotional literacy. Yep. Yep. Huh. Okay. So now into marriage. Yeah. So just a few tips in the marriage context. Um, one study in 2018 argued that body language and posture are very useful for identifying human emotion because posture provides data that's not available in speech or even in facial expressions, right? Okay, yeah. So, I mean, as you know, like facial expressions are very useful, but body language can be a very useful indicator of emotion. So just become a student of your spouse's expressions of their body language and use that to make connections to their emotional state. Okay. Yeah. Huh. It'd be very handy. Not only now we're just talking about your own emotional literacy, but your your understanding of your spouse's emotional experience, right? Right, right. Because you're yeah. in tune with their body language. Yes. Okay. Attunement. Okay. Now, mm. for yourself, as you're developing your own literacy about what's going on inside you, it beca- it's just so, so helpful to share more and more of your own emotional experience with your spouse. And this is where you want to be sure that using the proper I feel statements as discussed at the beginning, right? Take some time to think through the steps that we've just gone through to discern your own deeper emotions and then bring those out as you sort through issues with your spouse. Like, Be gentle here. Make sure you listen to understand when your spouse is sharing as well. But just taking the time to think and to feel the emotion through so you can really articulate what's going on that you want to be sure it is the emotion that you felt, but this can really help prevent miscommunication about feelings, about reactions, and just really help you be much more precise and in helping your spouse to understand what you're going through as you guys are are sorting through stuff. Right. So if you can figure out your own emotions, then you'll be better equipped to share that with your spouse. Yes. And And then they can respond. And then it's just... Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Really helps with intimacy and, and conflict resolution and... All sorts of good stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Okay, well, we would like to thank those of you who became patrons between this recording and our previous one. We have Ryan and also Nicole and Caleb next week. We're talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Not the ones from the Bible, but the four most devastating behaviors in marriage, as identified by Drs. Gottman in their marriage research. Well, that should be interesting. Yeah. That is all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oyf.link slash 243. Find out how you can help. Go to oyf.support. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is totally funded by listeners who support Caleb and Valinda in their mission to save marriages. If you would like to be part of this worthy cause, open your web browser to oyf.support. A minimum investment of $10 per month will help restore hope to married couples. Plus, as a patron, you'll gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Go to the website oyf.support now for more information. Thanks for listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People from Only You Forever.